Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Happy Labor Day, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning and welcome to this Labor Day holiday edition of Mornings with Carmen on listener-supported Faith Radio. Since it's a holiday, Carmen has the day off. Hi, I'm her producer, Paul Perot, and today we're going to spend some time hearing some of the best of conversations over the last several weeks of our show. I'll tell you about those conversations in just a few moments. First, though, looking at Labor Day, now it's considered by many the ending holiday of the summer months before life returns back to the flow of work, school, and such. The holiday itself is considered a patriotic holiday. It is meant to be, as History.com notes, an annual celebration of workers and their achievements, originated during one of America labor history's most dismal chapters. Back in the 1800s, during the Industrial Revolution, it was not uncommon for families factory workers to work 12 hours a day, up to seven days a week to eke out a living for their families. Even more, children as young as five or six were sent to work in mills, factories, and mines, often earning just a fraction of the wages as adults. Further, work conditions in many factories, textile mills, mines, and other facilities were unsafe often with insufficient access to fresh air and sanitation. And the idea of taking breaks during the day were in many places unknown. This led to the rise of labor unions that fought for better conditions for workers and better pay. While some will tie Labor Day to the rise of socialism in the 1800s, that's not entirely true. There were many Christian leaders both in the U.S. and in Europe at that time who were also concerned with the plight of workers during the Industrial Revolution. They were advocating for better pay and conditions as well as the end of child labor. As for the holiday itself, after many riots, including the Chicago Haymarket Riot in 1886, the idea of a working man's holiday celebrated on the first Monday of September caught on in many industrial centers around the country. Many states passed legislation recognizing a Labor Day, but it wasn't until 1894 until Congress passed an act making Labor Day a legal holiday in the District of Columbia and the territories. It was signed into law by then-President Grover Cleveland in 1894. So, happy Labor Day. Coming up on this special Mornings with Carmen, we have some especially picked conversations. In hour two, we'll be looking at how your workplace can often be a place of spiritual warfare. Carmen talked with Lion Chair's David Brewing about that in a series of conversations. We'll hear the first one of those conversations next hour. Also, September, among many other things, is National Suicide Prevention Month. A couple of weeks ago, Carmen talked with Kevin Butcher, a former pastor who personally had such a shame-riddled life that it almost led him to take his life. But God helped him find a way out of all that shame and into freedom found through a, an appreciation for the love of Jesus. So we'll hear that conversation in about half an hour. Up first, though, while laws protecting the safety of workers and making sure that they're paid well are important, no question. What about the work culture, though? What can be done to help improve that? 
When Dave Haytag returned to his dad's gear manufacturing shop, it was a pretty rough place. Worker discontent was high. But Dave applied kingdom principles to the company and turned things around. We'll hear him share that story when Mornings with Carmen continues in just a few moments here on Faith Radio. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening all over this land. I'd hammer out danger. I'd hammer out warning. I'd hammer out love between my brothers and my sisters all over this land. Joining me now, Dave. Hey, Tag, I haven't met him yet, but um, I really want to know him. I want to hang out with him. I want to go to Wisconsin and be in the machine shop. The book is Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World. Dave, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you. Hey, come on up. We'll can peaches together. Dude, I am on it. I have uh, I have put up peaches this year. I have uh, dried apples. I've I mean, yeah, I'm on it, man. I'm on it. Well, I'm dehydrating peaches right now, so I could use some help. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So, um, this is my listeners would have no idea why I would be asking you this question, but um, are you in the shop this morning? And if so, what are you wearing? I am in the shop. I'm actually in my office, and I'm wearing my, my shop uniform, which is a Edgerton gear shirt, and it's hot in the shop, so I'm wearing shorts and my boots as well. So I like the the reality that, you know, you're you're in charge, but you are still, you know, dressing for the real job on the floor. Tell us about the shop, and maybe take us back to the shop floor and the culture of the shop when you were a kid, because this is a second-generation story um, of a gear shop. And I just think people need to go back in order that we can talk about what we're doing today. Sure. So a, a gear shop, we make custom gears for all sorts of equipment. So modern civilization would not exist without gear makers because our bottles, our cans, our papers, our boxes, everything that we wear, everything that's in our offices and our homes are made with the assistance of gears. So my my dad and mom started the, the company in 1962. And I came back in, gosh, 1992. And it was a pretty dark place. I grew up in the shop since I was five years, grew up since I was, I think I was working in there since I was five years old. Um, But it fit the stereotype of a lot of shops being dirty, dark, and dangerous. Um, And I would add depraved. (laughs) And I say that affectionately, but the reality was quarter barrel of beer in the lunchroom, pornography everywhere. Um, Blue collar folks were just kind of a rough crowd. And so I, I ran away from home uh, in kind of a literal sense at 19, or I'm sorry, at 22. Lord got a hold of me at 19. And, you know, I, I was kind of one of those folks that really got zealous for God. God got a hold of me, hasn't let go of me since. And then I went on this career path of, okay, what do you do when you're really excited about God? You, you, everybody says you become a missionary, a pastor, or a youth worker. And I did all of that. But then in 1990 at Theological Graduate School up at Regent College, uh, God called my wife and I back to the mess of what I call the family business. And could the kingdom of God impact even a blue collar shop, like I said, with beer and porn and, and all that other dysfunction that happens in a lot of machine shops. 
So I've been back here for almost 30 years trying to figure out how the gospel is relevant, even in a blue collar shop. One of the things that comes through in Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World, um, one of the things that comes through, Dave, is that you could leave the shop, you know, seeking to go serve God somewhere else, like, you know, as Mm -hmm. if, I don't know, as if Edgerton Gear was kind of your Nineveh, the Nineveh of your youth. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But but God really brought you back, and he brought you back in obedience. Um, That Mm -hmm. is a word that... um, comes around pretty frequently in this conversation. Um, I'd love for you to talk with um, with our listeners about your experience of, you know, quote unquote, coming home. I mean, you really had this desire to introduce kingdom values, but that was met with real resistance. Yeah, you know, the idea of running away, believe me, Carmen, I've tried to run away numerous times uh, over the last 30 years because it, it's a hard environment. And anytime you're trying to change culture uh, and and there's so much dysfunction and there's infighting and there's sabotage of employees who are trying to undermine what you're doing, uh, difficult customers, vendors, uh, and just all the relational dynamics inside the shop. And and, and I got to say, one of my mentors used to say that God often returns us to the scene of the crime. And for me, that was coming back to the shop. That was a place and to the family where... You know, I, I really struggled to understand how God could be be relevant in, in in such a dark, you know, for me a dark place. And so when you when you enter in these places that you need to come back to, you know, like like Moses did, like Joseph did, and so many like Paul did, uh, we have so many biblical examples. God often deals not only with the environment and the culture that we're in, but He has to deal with our messiness inside of our, ourselves. And so it's been a real struggle, um, you know. It, it put a lot of stress on my marriage, uh, stress as a dad, stress of just just running the business every day. And over and over, I, I was dealing with cycles of burnout and, and trying to hang in there every day to try to institute change. And it, and it comes really, really slow. So for me, it really was a, a issue of obedience to just to stay the course and, and not bail and <laughs> run off and and hope that God would reveal his real plan for our lives. Um but as as the years went went by, we realized his plan for us was to stay here and and uh, and earn street cred in our community, in our industry, um, and in our family. So, Dave, I want to talk about hiring for character in just a moment. But let's let's go let's circle back around to the book title. What is good work, and what makes work good? So I'm going to reference your book real quick because I think it's an awesome book, Speak the Truth. And I was reading through it, and you hit on something on on page. I'm looking at it right now. It says, Facing the Reality of a World in Hiding from God. And it's on page 68. And you say something really profound that our culture really does seem to be hiding from God, right? So the challenge of good work and the challenge of believers in 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 our culture is we have to earn the right to speak. And so I say that that for us, we need to not just speak the truth. We need to live the truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. So good work is we have to allow the goodness of God to come through everything we do. And we are all at, most of us are at some sort of a job, 40, 50 hours a week. And we have so many opportunities to live a life and show the world a life of integrity, of goodness, of honesty, of humility. And, and in our very polarized culture right now, people need to see what goodness is. 
And in, in order for us to earn the right to speak, we have to live that. So for me, good work is, is making a gear that's precise, that's serving the good of the world, that's helping my customer, that's helping make good, good products to make our lives better, treating my, my employees with respect and dignity, my coworkers, my customers, my vendors, because the, the essence and the true character of God is goodness, and we need to reflect that. So I think all work has the capacity to be good work if we allow the Spirit of God to live through us. Uh, I think there's no question about that. Um, and what you're talking about there, I think, is how the person, the changed person, the kingdom person, as they are, as we are living out the reality of who we are as changed people, mm-hmm. as kingdom people in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, like it is hard, but it yeah. is also a witness. It's a testimony and it does over time change things. Dave Haytag Absolutely. and I have to take a very, very brief break. We're going to um, come back and continue our conversation about good work, how blue collar business can change lives, communities, and the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Dave Haytag. He's a second-generation president and owner of Edgerton Gear. It's a Wisconsin-based custom, custom gear manufacturer. Um, he also, you know, is a super smarty pants and, um, and has a doctorate and has written a book and all of those kinds of things. I am intrigued to talk with you on another occasion, Dave. We, we won't do it today, but I really want to talk about your Craftsman with Character curriculum mm-hmm. Um, the course that you developed for high school students, because I think vocational ed, you know, trades and manufacturing, it's not just an excellent career path. It is going to be the way forward for most of our kids. And so, um, you know, helping us, helping us help them not only move in that direction, but do so as people of Christ in the workplace. Um, So I look forward to having that conversation in the future. Um, But I have a, we've got a, We have a listener request. Mary wants to know your wife's name because Mary feels compelled to pray for your wife. (laughs) My wife's (laughs) name is Tracy, and she is a, uh, a gosh, she's way more than any man deserves. Put it that way. She's put up, she's put up a lot and she's been incredibly faithful and and a huge part of my life. So, so so Mary, yeah, Mary, thank you for asking. And um, we are going to all be praying for Tracy as she (laughs) is alongside Dave in this work. So, Dave, let's talk about um, one of the big transitions that you made was hiring for character. And I mm-hmm. thought maybe one way to get into this conversation would be for you to tell us a little bit about, like, Clayton Flood. T- tell us about a specific person. <laughs> oh, boy. Clay- Clayton's a great kid. Uh, he um, started working here in high school. And we could recognize really quickly that that uh, he's just a, an amazing young man with a, a ton of humility, and he's teachable, and he's respectful, and he just wants to find his place in the world. So he went from a high school student to a summer internship to an apprenticeship, and now he's one of our journeyman machinists. And and he's he's pretty typical of a lot of the young folks that we hire. And and I got to mention too, real quick, Carmen, that the Craftsman with Character course we go after the kids that nobody else wants. Uh, we go after the D students in high school that, that don't have a sense of purpose. And so we have stories of, of kids who, who really, really struggled, socially shut down, don't, don't fit in. And they, when they're mentored and encouraged, if we see that spark of character, that spark of integrity in them, that, that, 
that desire to be better and to grow, um, we just love all over them. And our shop now is a mentoring culture that we look for the, the, those character qualities or or people that want to learn those character qualities. It used to be thought that you can't teach character, but I really think you can if you have people in the right environment. And so obviously in any business or any organization, um, character is huge. And if without it, the whole the whole things, the whole company comes off the rails. So um, yeah, we, we really look for character in people. I'm serious. I want to circle back around and have another conversation specifically about the um, the curriculum. Um, so let's do sure. this today because we've only got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, um, yeah. Talk right now to the person who's listening who is saying, I don't work in that kind of place. I am I am going to work. I'm heading to work. I, I am a Christian. I want to have a good attitude about all of this, but I am working in an environment like the one that Dave described at the beginning of the conversation, a place that's depressing and where people are disinterested in me and I feel like a cog. Mm. And and I think that's a lot more than we realize because that's that's the marketplace, the workplace today. You know, I I think God calls us to messes, right? The world's broken. Uh, we are needed in, in so many arenas throughout our society. And, and And so I would say to that person, you know what? The Spirit of God is living in you. You have a bigger... Uh, influence than you can possibly imagine. I don't care where you are in the totem pole in your company. If you can go in your job with respect and integrity and try to be that that person of influence, that transformational influence, even if you're affecting just one or two people around you, and then you start looking at your work and said, how can, how can this work possibly be glorifying to God? Um, when you start praying that prayer and you invite God into the presence of your everyday work life, your perspective starts to change. And, and I think the Holy Spirit starts giving us opportunities to be influential and change change agents in ways that we can't even imagine. You know, Ephesians tell us not to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I think that applies to the workplace and even the most depraved, dark, depressing workplaces. Um, and I, I always didn't believe that. But after 30 years, I, I am amazed at the influence that even one person can make just by uh, just by submitting and being obedient every day, no matter what job you're doing. Jim says, hey, that was me. I was that kind of high school student. Um, so I do think this resonates with, you know, not just with folks who are listening. This really resonates with the reality that we live mm-hmm. in today. Um, how can I, as a person who, you know, uh, although I live on a farm and so <clears throat> I do a lot of blue collar work, you know, yeah, that's not what I yeah. do for pay. I have I have what I think we would consider a white collar job. How can yeah. I speak into, encourage, cultivate the community in which I live, which is populated overwhelmingly by people who work in blue collar industries? Well, it goes, I, th- I think it goes back again to what I, what I just mentioned. It's, it's this sense of, you know, I, I go back to brother Lawrence, where he mm. talks about practicing the presence of God. And he was, a, he was, a, they didn't even allow him to be a monk and it goes way, way back centuries ago, but he, he found the presence of God and even, even washing dishes. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so I think as we approach, everything that we do with the sense that that the goodness of God is coming through us. You know, there's a saying that that's attributed to St. Francis, you know, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. I think that's really, really profound in our in our culture, especially we have, like I said earlier, we have to win that, win that respect uh, of people just by being people of goodness and integrity. 
So when Jesus says, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, we are seeking God and his true inner goodness, which is which Dallas Willard would translate as, as true inner goodness, righteousness. Um, when that comes through in everything that we do through the day, I, again, I think we're amazed at, at the influence and the power that God has in our lives and those around us. Um, we're, we're a lot more influential. You know, I, and real quick, you know, our churches are full of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who struggle to connect their faith to the other six days of the week. Mm-hmm. And I think when you start exploring that and you say, God, how can I be impactful no matter what I do? It's a whole new ride of, of, of the spiritual life that, that, is in, that can be exciting. It can be heartbreaking because you start getting in touch with the heart of God. And I think when we work, that's when we're also often closest to the heart of God because God's a worker. All right, dude, you better get ready because people are going to start showing up, not just with like broken gears that need fixing, but they're going to be like, okay, help me fix what's broken in my world. So Dave Haytag, thank you so much. The book is Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World, and look forward to um, having you back on to talk about the curriculum as well. I just, um, I'm really excited about that. Dave, thanks so much. Carmen, thank you. It's been a real honor and a privilege to be be with you today, and, and thank you so much. Give Tracy our greetings and assure her of our prayers. You can see them every morning in the factories and the fields, in the city streets and the quiet country towns. Working together like spokes inside a wheel, they keep this country turning around. Hello. Well, again, good morning on this Labor Day, and thank you for listening to the special Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer, and September is a busy month. It's National Better Breakfast Month, Baby Safety Month, and it's also National Chicken Month. I wonder if KFC and Chick-fil-A and Popeyes have any special deals going on. Actually, on a more serious note, as I mentioned earlier, September is also National Suicide Prevention Month. And while the issues leading people to this horrible decision can differ, in most cases you can boil it down to one word, hopelessness. Kevin Butcher knew that hopelessness. It almost took his life, but then God broke through. And we'll hear his story in about five minutes. Again, thank you for listening to this special Labor Day edition of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Ever ask a question of your teen only to receive a one-word answer or just a grunt? (laughs) Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's a common experience for moms and dads all across the country. They strike up a conversation with their teen only to be stonewalled. That can be pretty discouraging. But let me offer some encouragement. No matter how tight-lipped your teen seems to be right now, he still wants a relationship with you. Deep down, what he or she most desires is a sense of significance and security in their relationship with mom and dad. Don't stop spending one-on-one time together every week. Don't stop asking those questions and waiting for the answer. Your patience will pay off sooner than you think. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. 
Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org. joins us now. He heads up Rooted Ministries. He is also the author of a recently released book from Tendal entitled Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. Kevin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, good to be with you. And indeed, it is really early morning here. Well, you know, I get up early every day, so I don't, I don't, you know, my sympathy is short, so I just confess, I I just confess, I, I, yeah. So, um, all right, your story is woven into this story because you have this, this shared experience of um, needing to be released into the life-giving love of Jesus. I think the easiest thing for me to do is just invite you to, to share that part of your story, um, you know, there were all these outward measures, and yet inwardly there was something else going on. So uh, sharing part of your story, maybe it will help us point to the problem that you're seeking to address in the book, Free. Sure. Um, Well, I trusted Christ when I was five years old. I felt, I remember the moment, I remember the experience, I felt the love of Jesus Christ, and I responded. And It was about 30 years later when I first began to consistently feel that love again. In between, after receiving the love of Christ uh, as a kid, I felt the rules. I felt the invitation into performance. To to use the the commonly used word today, I felt the shame. And of course, shame is, is different from guilt. Guilt is what we do, we, we can be forgiven from guilt. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, we, we know the verse. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Shame is about who we are, Carmen, and it, and it tells us that we'll never be enough. And it really ultimately makes you want to die. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I, I performed the heck out of Christianity, out of, out of life. Um, I, I was, a, a, you know, I, academic honors, athletic honors all the way through university. And I was a successful pastor. And then at the age of 36 in 1990, uh, after yet another performance that I, again, had been insidiously taught, this is what God's looking for if he's going to accept you, uh, if he's going to approve of you, if you're going to have a relationship with him. I went out, did a sermon somewhere up in the northern suburbs of Detroit, got the applause, driving home. It was like... Um, it, it just came over me. You don't want to do this anymore. In fact, you don't want to live anymore. And so with my three little girls and my best friend who I was married to, um, just a few miles away, I almost, I came within a Nats eyelash carmen of driving off the freeway at I, I-94 in Allard in, into, a, into a cement embankment because I couldn't live under that shame any longer. Yeah, that's my story. And I think it's the story of many. Not that they get to the point where they want to kill themselves, but deep inside, they live like they want to die. All right. That is the, um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And and that is the issue that Kevin is addressing in the book, Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. So um, let's talk about um, the the disconnect. 
why is shame such an issue in the Christian life? Like, how did we get here? Well, first of all, let me let me just tell you what uh, Kurt Thompson in his book, The Soul of Shame, which I have a chapter on shame in, in, in my book, Free, of course, but his his book, Shame, is like the grandfather of the conversation on shame. And he says that we all, this is profound, Carmen, I think, he says we all come out of the womb looking for someone, looking for us with love and delight. Mm. In other words, we're created in the image of a relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit, to connect, to be loved. We're not created to respond to the rules. And yet, when you go back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve had the love of God, they had intimacy with God. It was enough. The enemy came along and said, no, it's really not enough. He's trying to hold out on you, um, not because he loves you, but because he doesn't want you to be like him. What you need is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In fact, what he was saying was, what you need is you need to know the rules. And Greg Boyd in his book, Repenting of Religion, says that since that moment when Adam and Eve said, oh, the love of God's not enough, I can't just respond to his love. We need the rules as well, which we could not handle, and God knew it. We we couldn't handle that 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 good and evil situation. Greg Boyd says that since that day, the fight in our lives is between, are we going to be about performance and rules? Are we going to return to the love of God? And of course, in Christ, Christ made it clear that he loves us. His final command to to his followers in John 15 was, abide in my love, make your home in my love. But unfortunately, most Religious experience, even Christian religious experience, Carmen, is based upon uh, leaders trying to control and trying to make us do what they think we're supposed to do. And so I would say a great portion of Christianity across denominational lines, across ethnic and uh, socioeconomic lines is about shame. It's about you'll never be enough. You better try harder. You better work harder at performing. And, um, And it leads to death. We're not created to respond to the rules. We're created to respond to love. All right. I am talking with pastor and author Kevin Butcher. Um, Rooted Ministries is one of the places that you can find him, rootedministries.co. The book that we are discussing today is uh, is Ken's new book, Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. All right, Ken, you said a number of things there. Um, you talked about abiding. I want you to describe what the abiding life or the life abiding in Christ looks like. Um, and then you also, you know, you allude to the fact, you tell us it. we don't have to live where we are in terms of this shame-based religion. How do we get from where we are to what you're talking about? So, I'll just tee up both of those questions. Oh, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to tee up both of those questions. The question about abiding, what does that look like? Um, And how do we get from where we are to the freedom that Ken is describing? We're taking a very brief break. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Kevin Butcher, we are talking about his brand new book, Free, Rescued from Shame-Based Religion, Released into the Life-Giving Love of Jesus. Kevin, 
Um, let's talk about abiding. We, you know, we recognize Jesus's invitation for us to abide in him, that he would abide in us. What does it really mean to abide in Christ? Well, it's a, it's a fascinating Greek word. And, 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 and the, the concept basically, Carmen, is to make your home in, to make it everything, to, to literally um, walk in as the primary influence in your life. And so one of the chapters in the book, I think, is entitled something along the lines of your one great love. It's, it's uh, concretely, it's beginning to realize that Jesus is not our spiritual CEO or our spiritual life coach, you know, um, barking orders and, and, and pointing toward the pathway. He is our one great love. We're intended to not just believe in him. I mean, the word um, pistuo, the, the Greek word for believing, is an important Greek word, but for by grace we're saved through faith, through believing, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, for real. But we're not intended to stay there with just faith. We're intended to fall in love with Jesus. So to abide in the love of Jesus is to live with him, to walk with him, to keep our attention upon him because as our one great love. And then in terms of um, how to, to go there from shame, I think, first of all, Carmen, for me, you know, what an abrupt awakening. I think at first, we've just got to get honest. When, when, I, when I do seminars and when I do uh, weekend retreats on this subject, there, there's a long list that came out of my life, not out of some kind of a textbook of the signs that, that we don't really believe that God loves us. We know the Bible verses. We might know John 3.16, but that's not the point. The point is, um, do we experience that love? So the first thing to do is get honest. Hey, I'm wrestling with this love. I've got this overwhelming sense of shame, of of constant guilt, like I'm not measuring up. Um, I have identity issues. I, I have a critical spirit because inside me, I have a critical voice that's barking at me all the time. Um, I have struggle in relationship. I, I feel that this finger pointing from God that basically is saying, I know what you did last night. And by the way, you better get with the program today. These are some of the signs that we're that we're that we're wrestling with the love of God. So first, Carmen, I think it's about getting honest. And then, you know, Psalm, what is it, 62.8, I think, says, pour out your heart before the Lord because he's a refuge for us. When, when we begin to at least dream that maybe he could be our one great love and not this finger-pointing, shaming instructor, um, I think that, I think he's inviting us then to pour our heart out to him, pour our shame out to him, tell him what's going on inside of us, tell him the, the deadness that's going on. Well, my little girls were very young, Carmen. They would, when they get in trouble or they would see something that frightened them, they'd run to me, they'd crawl up in my arms and they would sob. And then for about, after about five minutes, they'd get up, push me away and go back to playing. And over the years, I've realized that that's the promise of Jesus in uh, Isaiah 61 that he quotes in that in, in Luke 4, that I'll give you beauty for your ashes. I'll give you joy in exchange for your mourning. It's if God really is the lover that we're talking about, Carmen, when we when we pour our heart outs to him, uh, hearts out to him, he will give us beauty for ashes. He will take that pain and give us his joy and the beginning of a beautiful love relationship in return. And then finally, we've got to find community. 
where we can experience that love on a human level. Fascinating. Neurobiological science today, Carmen tells us that what heals the literal damage that occurs in the limbic brain of a human being when they're not loved, which by the way, they can track from the third trimester in the womb. If a baby's not loved, their limbic brain begins to, to get, receive damage. That the way that damage can be healed is by love. That's a neurobiological scientific truth. So no wonder Peter says in 1 Peter 4 to the church, above all things, love one another, because that love will cover, will heal a multitude of sins. So that, that's like a brief pathway. That's what I live every day. I try to get honest with God. I pour my heart out to him as my one great love. And I am involved in intimate community where I can be vulnerable, share my shame, and receive love uh, that will heal that shame every time. That's the pathway, as I understand it, from the Word of God. Kevin, we have a friend um, who just texted in. This guy is speaking to what I experience all the time, not measuring up to be loved by God. Man, I mean, I'm just hearing that text messes up my heart because I want to get with that brother for a cup of coffee, and I want to reach across the table, if he would allow me to, and just take his hand, brother to brother, and look him in the eye and say, my friend, I can't make you believe this, but I believe that Jesus, who said he's come to heal us and set us free, is right here at this coffee table with us doing his healing work. So let me say to you, I love you. And let me say to you that he loves you. And he wants to heal your broken heart. And I would then go on to tell him, Carmen, uh, don't forget, I am you. I was the guy that almost took his life and, and, and because of shame. And even today, the enemy hasn't let up on me. I just know now to run to my, my one great love. And I would embrace that brother and say, let's start the journey together. Let's start right now by getting honest, pouring it out to him. And then let's, let's walk together and watch the love of Jesus heal that shame. The love, I would say to him, that took Jesus to the cross kept him on the cross for us. And then when he said, it is finished, Carmen, that love was what destroyed the powers of darkness, defeated the powers of darkness. I would say to that brother, let's watch that love continue to heal me and begin to heal you on our journey home. Um, I'm, uh, um, our friend is saying, does Kevin want my email or my number? I'd love to talk to him. And let me just say to you, um, I am going to give Kevin your number so um, you guys Indeed. can talk. So we're gonna, absolutely we're going to make that happen. Um, so if you are the person listening right now from the nine five two area code who's been texting with me, I'm going to give Kevin your number off air and uh, and he'll reach out to you. So um, thank you, Kevin, for your ministry. Thank you for the conversation today. Thank you for the book. The book is free, rescued from shame based religion, released into the life giving love of Jesus. Um, and if you have a pastor who needs some encouragement, I'm going to encourage you to check out Kevin's ministry at rootedministries.co, Rooted Ministries. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today and your ongoing ministry. Carmen, so honored to be with you. Blessings. Blessings to you as well. We'll be right back. Nothing wrong with a heart and a hand. 
this world together Hands of steel and cradle of the promised land God bless the working man Well, it is Labor Day, right? Hey, thanks for listening to the special Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, and as we wind down hour number one, let me ask, as Carmen is wont to do, where in the Word are you? Well, since it's Labor Day, let's go to the book of Colossians, where the Apostle Paul has important words for both workers and bosses. Let's start in Colossians 3.22. Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will pay back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In those four verses, Paul says a lot of things to workers who serve others. While understanding that the servant-master relationship isn't the same as modern employee management arrangements, there still is a lot of truth that applies. And Paul calls workers to be honoring of those they work for and remembering that ultimately they are serving the Lord. Then, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul addresses the masters or the bosses. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, you may be surprised that Paul has only one quick sentence for masters while he has four verses for the workers. Maybe you're like, hey, what's up? He has more rules for workers? Well, there we have to be careful. The Bible has a lot to say for leaders and those they employ or have authority over. Try reading Isaiah 58 sometime. There are a couple of things to keep in mind as well. First, when Paul wrote this letter, the majority of the people who would be hearing it were not rich slave owners, but those who were likely slaves. He likely wanted to give them encouragement to frame what they did with an eye toward their service to Jesus. Also, when Tychicus brought the letter from Paul in Rome to the church at Colossae, he had a second letter a personal letter to a man named Philemon, which is in the Bible. Philemon was a rich slave owner. One of those slaves was a man named Onesimus, who was a servant to Philemon that ran away. A very serious crime in those days. What Paul encouraged Philemon to do in many ways fleshed out that one verse we read before. Why not check it out? We hope you stay with us. Hour two of the special Mornings with Carmen for this Labor Day comes your way in about five minutes here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.